to the dark side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is episode 41 of Dark Adaptation. Girl, I'm back hosting. She's back. She's hosting. With a brand new rap. She is the moment. Oh. Mmm. Mmm. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was just voguing in my head. <laughs> I know. I saw it. <laughs> I am back. Although, Dyson, last week you did do an amazing job. It was very fun. Thank you. I had help from my friends. Oh. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. There. There were your friends. I think that you might have to go back and listen to the transmission again. <laughs> I don't know. They they said it was fine. Why? Do you think something was wrong? No, it's okay. We'll just glide on right by that. It's okay. They said they cared for me. Oh, they did. They caressed me. Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> I did have fun, though. It was nice to be able to sit back. I like to be able to just sit here, vogue in my head. Listen mm-hmm. to a good old story of aliens. But this week we have something different. Galians. What? <laughs> what the hell is even that? What the hell is that? Aw. <laughs> what the hell is that? That episode was good. Everyone go listen to it if you haven't yet. It was fantastic. Flawless even. Sure. Flawless. This week, I don't have whatever the heck you said. I have a disappearance this week. Mm. So, um, yeah, I got a lot to tell you. I read a ton of articles. I even read a 54-page police report. Oh, my God. So there's, like, information galore. And um, I think it's best for me to just tell you everything that we know, um, all the information I have about this disappearance, and at the end, we can discuss it. Okay. Um, So yeah, like obviously while I'm telling you a story, if you have like questions or you're like, wait, what? Then that's fine. Of course, interject. Okay. But I think I'll just... Just Jump right into it. I'll jump right into it, tell you everything we know. Because yeah, it was already a lot of information. Very interesting putting, you know, like writing this episode. And then I saw that police report, and I was like, well, I have to. <laughs> Just can't not. And then, yeah, I was like, okay, here we go. This is going to be a long one, everyone. So strap in, and let's do this. Okay. Daniel Robinson's family and supporters say they need to ramp up their efforts. The missing geologist disappeared after leaving his Buckeye worksite back in June. Buckeye police say they followed up on all leads and evidence, but as Team 12's Jess Winter shows us, loved ones are determined to find him. It's been nearly 17 months since a 24-year-old geologist named Daniel Robinson disappeared. Daniel was last seen abruptly leaving his job site north of Buckeye, Arizona on June 23, 2021, between 9.30 and 10 in the morning. The job site is approximately one mile west of North Sun Valley Parkway and one mile north of West Cactus Road. He apparently headed into a remote desert area in his 2017 blue-gray Jeep Renegade 
and was never seen again. You thought you felt pain. Try looking for your child and not knowing where he is. Okay, so we're going to start by getting to know Daniel and who he is. So Daniel Robinson is, by all accounts, a great man, a great son, brother, friend, and he's just a very loving person. He loves his siblings and he adores his parents, who he's very close with. He's very close with both his mother and his father. And although his family is from South Carolina and he lives in Arizona, he constantly kept in touch through texting and daily phone calls. He's a very family-oriented person. He's described as free-spirited, which you can see in his pictures. He's very open and warm and he has this big, beautiful smile. And he's also said to be just such a friendly person. Uh, He was born with one hand, but that didn't stop him from playing video games. He taught himself how to play the French horn and the trombone, and he was even in a marching band. Like, it, he did not, um, according to David, his father, he never saw it as a handicap. He was even given a, like, prosthesis, but refused to wear it because he was like, no, like, I'm perfectly capable. I don't need that. He also loves nature, And that's the reason he's a geologist and why he went to Arizona. He wanted to be in tune with nature and he was, by all accounts, working his dream job. He loved it. And if you're wondering, a geologist studies the composition, structure, and other physical attributes of the earth. They use physics, mathematics, and geological knowledge in exploration of oil, gas, minerals, or underground water. So he's also very smart. Mm Mm-hmm. Daniel was also very adventurous and loved exploring. Daniel's father, David, said, quote, Daniel has an innate passion for adventure and is known to travel at inopportune moments. However, he always communicates with friends and family about his travel plans. Daniel had moved to Arizona, specifically the Phoenix area. After graduating as a field geologist in 2019, he was working for Matrix Global Water, testing groundwater and had a side gig working for Instacart, which is a grocery delivery service. As part of his geologist job for Global Water, he oversees many sites in this remote desert area, and he often travels long distances for work. On this day, he disappeared. He was working on job sites just north of Buckeye, Arizona. The area is described as a very remote area with treacherous terrain. It's just it's just a giant desert. There's few paved roads, most of them are dirt. So like as soon as you venture out there, you you have to know where you're going or else you could get lost. So we will be talking about this case and Daniel's disappearance from a few perspectives. But we're going to start with the timeline and information that was established by the investigation that Buckeye officers and detectives conducted, and as it's documented in the police report. Uh, The information I'll relay here 
right now was obtained by two different officers working the case from the onset of Daniel's disappearance um, over the course of a couple days. So information they received on June 23rd and 24th. Okay. So Daniel was last seen leaving his job site on June 23rd, 2021. And the police report says, quote, subject left under abnormal circumstances, end quote. So no one hears from Daniel again, not colleagues, not his family. And like David mentioned, Daniel speaks with his family often. And at this point, it's late in the day and he hasn't contacted anyone. His sister, who lives in a nearby Arizona city, stopped by his apartment to see if he was home. But it's all locked up and his Jeep isn't there. And his father um, actually calls Buckeye police from South Carolina to report Daniel missing and explains that Daniel was not replying to texts or returning phone calls. And the last time they spoke, it was early that morning while Daniel was working and was headed to meet a guy at a job site. And no one has seen or heard from him since. And this entire situation is not like Daniel. He has never taken off without notifying anyone or being available through his cell phone. So he wants to report him missing. He's very worried about him. So he just up and vanished. He really did. He, as we go through this, he's like he, he's, he's literally vanished. Mm-hmm. So the officer calls Global Water, and the employee that answers is in the office. Um, whereas Daniel and his coworkers work out in the field, so she has a supervisor call the officer back. Now Daniel's supervisor is a man named Kevin. And Kevin advises the officer that the person who met with Daniel to head over to the job site was a man named Ken. Kevin said that Daniel had worked for Global Water for a year and had never done anything like this. So that's what we're hearing from everyone. He does not behave this way. So the officer calls Ken. And Ken advised that on June 23rd, the day that Daniel went missing, it was the first time that he had ever met Daniel. So they worked um, for different companies, but whatever job they were doing um, required, like, obviously multiple different, like, services or whatever. Right. So they were working the same job, just not for the same company. Okay. So Ken said that they drove out to the job site. He was in his vehicle and Daniel was in his Jeep. And they arrived at approximately 9.30 a.m. Ken said that Daniel's behavior was weird. He was looking around a lot and then would stare off into the distance with this blank look He was asking weird questions, like if Ken wanted to rest and if he wanted to go rest in Phoenix. And he he noticed that Daniel's shoes were untied, which was also weird. And then Ken said that it had been raining on and off that day, and it appeared like it was going to rain again. So he had taken out his phone to check the weather. And as he was looking at his phone, he noted that it was 9.45 a.m. And then he looks up, and he saw Daniel waving at him as if he was waving goodbye and daniel didn't say anything he walked over to his jeep and then he drove away from the job site okay the road to the job site runs north to south and if you head south then you're going away from the job site back the way that you would have taken to get there and it leads to this t intersection so when you get to that t intersection if you turn left you're going east, and that takes you to the main road and the only paved road in the area, which is Sun Valley Parkway. And this is the road that Daniel and Ken had traveled to get there. Whereas if you come to that T intersection and you turn right, 
then you're going east and you're heading into remote desert area that just has hills and ravines and rough terrain and dirt roads and there's no reason to go out there. Okay. Ken said that he was concerned because of Daniel's behavior, obviously. And so he spoke with his boss, a guy named Steve, and let him know what had happened, that Daniel just like what was being weird waved by and left. So he continued working and he received updates throughout the day from Steve. And at approximately 3 p.m., he was made aware that Daniel had not been located and was not responding to anyone's texts or calls. So being in this remote area, and it was just Daniel and Ken that were out there, Ken got in his vehicle and went to look for him. So at that T intersection, where you either turn left to head back into town or right into the desert, Ken saw tire tracks. Um, it had been raining on and off, and there wasn't really anyone else out there. So he assumed they were fresh, so they must be Daniel's. But they turned right. So they were going west into the desert okay so he heads that way he follows these tracks but he doesn't see daniel anywhere he doesn't find the jeep anywhere and at one point ken said that he went to higher ground to scan the area for any sign of daniel but he still didn't see anything so he updated steve and steve followed up with the other job sites just to see if daniel had checked in with anyone there or for some reason turned up at another one of the sites because they're kind of just all over the desert mm -hmm. and everyone Everyone that he talked to had no idea. They're like, no, I haven't seen him. I haven't heard from him. I don't know where he is. And it's past 3 p.m. at this point. So it's pretty much a whole workday that no one knows where Daniel is. That's fucking weird. Officers. <laughs> Officers. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Officers went out and searched the area of the desert where Ken said that he would have headed towards. And they went out there and they looked for hours and they did not locate any sign of Daniel or his Jeep. So Daniel was entered into NCIC as a missing person, which is the National Crime Information Center. David was updated, so that's Daniel's father. He was told that he was entered into NCIC. And then David told officers that Daniel did not have any medical or mental health issues, but he had been acting odd lately. So over the past couple weeks, Daniel had told him that he met a woman named Caitlin and that he was in love with her. And David was like, okay, but you don't even know anything about this girl. It's weird that you're in love. Like, I've never heard of her before. You, What? Like, this is very strange. So officers spoke with Davisha, who is Daniel's sister, and that's the sister that also lives in the Phoenix area and the one that had, that had gone to check out his apartment to see if he was there. And so the officers are speaking to her and she agrees with her dad that Daniel had been acting odd recently. For example, he came over to her apartment, sat down for about 30 minutes did not say one word, would not respond to anybody talking to him, just sat there and then left for 30 minutes. That's here. Let me just prove a point here. Okay. We're going to sit in silence for 30 minutes. No, we're not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's concerning because she said she was trying to talk to him. Like, what's going on? Like, what are you doing? What, like, why are you here? Can I help you? What do you want? Yo, why aren't you talking? Literally anything. And he just was like despondent. So... Also, like David, Davisha 
also mentioned that Daniel was talking about recently meeting Caitlin and Caitlin told him about a podcast to listen to. And once he listened to it, it apparently changed the way that he looked at life. And Daniel also told Davisha he was in love with Caitlin. And when he would talk about Caitlin, he made it sound like they were in a relationship. And Davisha didn't have any contact information for Caitlin. She'd never spoken to her, met her. Uh, but Daniel had told her that she lived in Levine, which is based on Google Maps, like kind of like a little suburb of Phoenix. Okay. So both Davisha and David had mentioned this mystery woman named Caitlin. So the officer did some sleuthing and tracked her down. And Caitlin said that she had no idea where Daniel was. And she had last heard from him the day before he went missing. So June 22nd. And she said that they were definitely not in a relationship. And she'd only known him since June 12th. So not even two weeks. On oh. June 12th, when she met him, her and her friend ordered groceries through Instacart. And Daniel was the one who delivered them. Because remember, that was like his side job. Mm-hmm. Her and her friend were drunk, and they thought that Daniel was nice, so they asked if he wanted to come in and hang out, but he didn't because he was working. So he was like, no, like, I can't. But they actually exchanged phone numbers, so Caitlin and, and Daniel were texting. And that's when Caitlin sent him that podcast to listen to. Um, This part, I, I don't know. I don't have any other information except, <laughs> except this. So I guess at some point, it must have been when Daniel was delivering food. He accidentally forgot his canopy at her place. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> so a few days later, he asked her, like, hey, can I pick up my canopy? And she was like, sure, anytime. And he was like, okay, can I come, like, right now or tomorrow? Um, I'm free whenever. And then sent a second message before she could answer, asking for directions to her house. And she never answered this because she was out of town. So she was like, I'm just going to ignore this until I'm back home when he can actually come and get it. Mm -hmm. But then while she was out of town, she saw Daniel on her home security camera. And he had gone up to the door. He was either knocking or ringing the doorbell and then just left. And Caitlin was annoyed that he would just show up at her place yeah, uh, without permission. She never... She saw the text asking for directions, but she didn't give him any. Mm -hmm. So she was concerned because that means that he either memorized how to get to her place when he delivered groceries a few days before, or he looked up her account in the Instacart Yeah, and found her address. So she called him out for this. She was like, yo, this is inappropriate. I don't like it. Um, when I get back to town, like we'll make arrangements for you to get your canopy, but I don't like this behavior. Mm-hmm. And in Caitlin's words, Daniel was, quote unquote, creepy, mm-hmm. like getting creepy. Um, he sent her texts with heart emojis and texts saying that he loved her. He couldn't stop thinking about her, that he was outside of her house. And she was so uncomfortable and just wanted him to leave her alone. And his final message to her is the day before he goes missing. And it reads, quote, the world can get better but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. End quote. What the fuck? He just went to like stage five clinger. I know. In that two weeks. So 
like Caitlin, she did send the officer screenshots of her conversation with Daniel and it wasn't very long and there was big gaps in the conversation. Um, which I take with a grain of salt. We don't actually know like what the entire conversation is. It's just what's reported based on screenshots she sent him. But um, as we'll learn, this has never been treated as a criminal investigation. The mm-hmm. Buckeye PD have always said that there's no evidence of foul play in this case. So there's never actually been like search warrants to obtain full records of what texts would have been happening. So it's just a screenshot she sent and you can delete individual texts. So maybe there's like stuff in between that we don't know about. Um, according to the police report, it is corroborated with messages that they did see in daniel's cell phone which we'll get into later but again we don't we don't know we don't have any of that information for real so like okay this conversation is just what's reported in the police report based on screenshots caitlin sent yeah it's it's weird to me like wouldn't the police like i know you said you were gonna like look at the like it's gonna be corroborated but wouldn't the police have like jurisdiction to get a warrant for daniel's phone records and check the text messages to see what that gap is yes they would if they thought this was there was criminal activity oh okay but it's not being investigated like it's a criminal case so they don't have that sort of jurisdiction because they're not changing the status from just a simple missing persons case right so david uh, informed the officers that daniel's jeep might have either onstar or you connect. So those are like essentially like roadside services. If there's an emergency or navigation or whatever that you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jeep didn't have OnStar, but the officer found that it does have you connect. Uh, he speaks to you connect. He talks to an employee and learns that Daniel never set up an account. So he asks you connect if someone did set up an account, could the Jeep be tracked? And the employee is like, yes, um, unless the battery is dead or someone has tampered with the Jeep. But as long as the battery has juice, um, it, it can be tracked even if the engine's off. So the officer sets up an account and he signed up to get notifications sent to his work email uh, so that he could hopefully find this Jeep. But not long after, he received a location update and it just said 0.0 slash 0.0 null degrees at null kilometers per hour okay likely meaning that the battery is dead and it's not picking up a location okay so it could have been so helpful but obviously there's something wrong excuse me there's something wrong with the jeep that it isn't giving proper coordinates so Now the Jeep is a dead end to finding Daniel's locations. So the officers contact Daniel's cell phone provider to try and get updates on his location, but to no avail because of like the spiel I just gave. Mm -hmm. They're not like giving a warrant or anything. They're just asking for a favor pretty much. Okay. But it doesn't yield anything. (laughs) So the next day, which is June 25th and two days since Daniel's been missing... A helicopter was requested to search the job site where Daniel worked, and multiple officers conducted a ground search. And even with this helicopter and them on foot, there's no signs of the Jeep, and there's no signs of Daniel. The case at this point 
was transferred to Buckeye Police Department detectives, and a detective named Biffin was assigned to the case. So we'll get into um, Detective Biffin's portion of the investigation. Love the name, Biffin. We've only just begun and I've thrown a lot of information at you. So far, we have information obtained by two officers that state multiple people saying Daniel was acting weird before he disappeared. Uh, We've got a concerned Ken who wonders why Daniel left without saying anything and then turned west down a road that leads out into the desert. We've got a concerned supervisor who hasn't heard from Daniel and is now missing multiple days of work. There's concerned family who want to know what happened to Daniel and where he is. And then this mystery woman, Caitlin, who Daniel was seemingly coming on strong to. And she's creeped out and says, leave me alone. Then he says she may never see him again. And then no one ever sees him again. And you connect information to ground searches and an aerial search that reveal absolutely nothing about Daniel's location. (laughs) That's yeah, that's a fucking lot. That sucks so hard with the uh, GPS location, though. I know. The Uconnect could have been just something, at least. Or, I don't know. Anything to go off of, but literally to just have, like, null. Null information. I know. Like, I... How long do you... How About, like, how long was it between, like, when they checked that thing? It was, like, a day. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Detective Biffin now is on the case, and he follows up with everyone again. So Daniel's supervisor, Kevin, and the co-worker that Daniel met at the job site, Ken, they both reiterate the same information I told you at the beginning. Then Biffin calls Daniel's sister, Devisha, and father, David, to let them know that the case has been transferred to him, and they give him some more information some new information that they have found out so the first thing that david says is that he's coming to arizona to help search for daniel uh and he's from south carolina so literally moving across the country and uh both david and davisha mention a couple days before daniel went missing that he deleted all of his photos and posts from his instagram account Davisha mentions Daniel went to Waffle House the day before he disappeared and described the clothes he was wearing, which were blue jeans and a navy blue polo. So Biffin goes to the Waffle House that Davisha mentioned and spoke to the manager who let him review the surveillance footage. Biffin observed Daniel arrive at the Waffle House at 6.02 p.m. wearing the clothes that Davisha mentioned. He was alone and he arrived on foot. He entered and sat by the jukebox in the lobby area, just kind of waiting there for about half an hour, and then was seated in a booth by the server. My understanding is that it wasn't busy. He was just sitting there for half an hour. Okay. Uh, He gets his food. He eats some of it. He pays his bill at the counter. He returns to the booth to package his food in a to-go container and then leaves on foot again. So Biffin also spoke to the server and showed her one of the missing person flyers, and she said that she recognized 
Daniel. He showed her the surveillance footage and she said that she remembered that day because Daniel was acting skittish. And when she talked to him, he didn't engage at all, like no talking. And Biffin was like, okay, was he, you know, like nervous or like shy because he was talking to a woman? Is, is that what it was? And she was like, no, he was off and he was out of it. And she was like, I've seen him on previous occasions. He comes in here um, once in a while. And this was totally different. I've never seen him act this way. It's, it's a demeanor he, that's not normal. Okay. Um, so when I was reading this, something that stands out to me is that um, he gets in the Waffle House and then he's just sitting in the lobby for half an hour. Yeah. So it's like... We don't have this footage, again, because it's not a criminal investigation, so they never obtained the footage. When Biffin went there, he just took, like, screenshots or, like, photos Mm -hmm. of the video he was watching. Uh, But my understanding is that it was not that busy. So, like, if you're sitting in a lobby, just staring, waiting, like, you're probably waiting for someone. Yeah. So it's like, who was he waiting for? And why was he acting, like, skittish or nervous or something? Like, I think that is a really important piece of this investigation yeah. is to know why he was at the Waffle House, why he waited half an hour to finally take a booth and eat. He didn't even finish his food because he put it away in a to-go container. And then to have someone remember how weird you were acting. Yeah. And skittish. Yeah, there's something to that, obviously, because mm-hmm. he, he could have just sat down and because he's been there bunch of times apparently mm-hmm. yeah so i just i wish we knew more about that because i really do think that that would be important to know i think i feels i'm just this is just me talking and speculating based on what i've read but i don't know it feels like he was waiting for someone and i want to know who he was waiting for mm-hmm. so could it like was it just a friend he often went out for meals with friends because he did have a few friends in the area like was it caitlin mm-hmm. was it someone who wanted to ask him to leave Caitlin alone like who knows yeah I want to know who it was if there even was someone so oh actually this is a good segue <laughs> speaking of Daniel's friends David had given Biffin some names so Biffin contacted them just to see what their recent interactions were with Daniel so the first friend that Biffin spoke to was a guy named Luke he had been in Arizona visiting Daniel just uh, days before he went missing And Luke didn't report that Daniel was acting odd or observed any weird behavior. The only thing Daniel said to Luke that stuck out to him was that Daniel was glad Luke was in town visiting him because he'd been feeling depressed lately. But Daniel didn't elaborate, which we'll see is very common. He will be like an emo boy, but won't talk about it (laughs) recently. Uh, yeah. Up until like just before he disappears, by all accounts, bef- outside of this specific time, he was so positive, happy, upbeat. Like this is just. I so you just said like a breakdown. It's something. Yeah. Um, Antonio was another friend, um, in Arizona who said that he hadn't heard from Daniel recently, but they talked on the phone for a bit on June sixteenth. And Daniel was acting more hyper than usual, and he was super pumped because he met two girls while delivering for Instacart, and he hooked up with one of them. Uh, 
Uh, he okay. could be tooting his own horn. Maybe he wishes he hooked up with one. Not, or it might have been that he was constantly tooting his own horn. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but that the, is grain of salt too, exactly. right? Exactly. But she goes to another school. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's or maybe Antonio was like half paying attention. Maybe he thought he said he hooked up with her, but he was saying how he wanted to hook up with her or he wanted to pursue her or whatever. Like, again. Yeah. Could be anything, but that's what Antonio says to um, Biffin. The next friend is a man named Ruben, and this is Daniel's friend from Florida who said he spoke to Daniel on June 22nd, which is the day before he went missing, and Daniel seemed down and off. The last friend that was spoken to was a man named Roger, who is also a co-worker of Daniel's. And this is a pretty insightful conversation, in my opinion. So Roger met Daniel when Daniel first moved to Phoenix and started working at Matrix Global Water. Daniel at the time was staying in a hostel because he was saving up money for his own place and a few days later, Roger was hanging out with Daniel again and said that he could stay with him and his girlfriend if he wanted to. They had an extra room. So Daniel accepted and he lived with them for about a month. Over this time, they became really good friends. They carpooled to work together. Um, and even though they they both worked at Matrix Global Water, Roger worked in the office and Daniel was out in the field. So they didn't see each other often. But... So yeah, he lives with them for about a month. He moves into his own place. And even after he moves out, they remain really good friends. Roger would go over there to watch basketball. They they really loved um, like talking about the NBA. Mm -hmm. like, apparently all of their text messages were like <laughs> talking about the NBA. And they just drink beers. And then Roger was also guiding Daniel on how to build his own gaming computer. So okay. the texts were pretty much, hey, this NBA stat, whatever. And then how to help me with my computer <laughs> it's so nerdy but i love it <laughs> me too so in the days leading up to daniel's disappearance roger hadn't like seen or spoken to him very much because roger had been out of town since his father passed away uh so roger went back to work on the 21st and was surprised to see daniel in the office and he was surprised because again he works in the field he isn't usually in the office but he was also surprised because he looked different. He was acting weird and he had cut off all his hair, which shocked Roger because they had had a conversation before recently about how Daniel wanted wanted to grow his hair out. Mm -hmm. Roger went to talk to Daniel, who was quote unquote dry. Roger asked if he was okay. Daniel ignored him. Roger asked if he wanted to go for breakfast Daniel said no, so Roger was like, okay, obviously, this guy does not want to talk. He's in a mood or something, so Roger just goes back to his desk and starts working, and then he immediately gets a text from Daniel that's like, hey, do you want to go for breakfast? Uh. <laughs> Roger's probably sitting there like, mm, what? I just asked you, and you said no. I really, it's really sounding like he's just gone into, like, the worst depression. Like, to the point where he's, like, dissociating, but then when he leaves conversations, mm -hmm. he, like, convinces himself to feel guilty enough to be, like, I was an asshole there, and then does shit he doesn't want to do. True. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing, because, like... He's definitely not well. Yeah. Mentally well. Yeah. And it's reinforced here, this, 
<laughs> this little breakfast date. So they do go to breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel's down. He's not himself. He's depressed about a girl, but again, won't elaborate on it. And much like Ken reported, Roger said Daniel started asking him weird questions and saying things that didn't make sense. He asked him, do you believe in miracles? Well, maybe you should start believing in miracles. He talked a lot about God. He talked a lot about religion. Roger thought this was very weird. Daniel, they hung out all the time. They talked about everything, but Daniel had never spoke of his religious views before. Mm -hmm. He kept asking Roger, do you trust me? He was questioning the strength of their friendship. And he kept talking about his ego. Daniel was saying stuff like, I have to get rid of my ego. I have to get rid of my story. And Roger's sitting there just like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, dude. Mm -hmm. You have to get rid of your ego. You have to get rid of your story. What? I believe at one point Roger was like, I don't don't really know what you mean by your ego. Like, I would never say you're egotistical. I think that you're a very confident person. But I don't know what you mean by, like, ego. And then Daniel would just go on like, do you believe in miracles? What about God? What about religion? Do you trust me? Are we good friends or not? What if you found out something? Like, just insane kind really, of paranoid weird questions really disconcerting kind of shit oh yeah it's never good if someone all of a sudden is putting god Hyper and religion religious. down your throat yeah it didn't even ease into it just bam <clears throat> so they go back to work daniel ignores roger and leaves the office without saying bye and roger was like that's rude <laughs> and on june 22nd daniel's in the office again and roger's like why <laughs> you're supposed to be in the field but they go for breakfast and I would say breakfast weird. Breakfast. <laughs> breakfast. Daniel drives them in his Jeep and asks Roger, quote, what if there was a girl you liked but couldn't have? And like the day before, Daniel talks about his ego and asks similar questions. I just don't know what I would do if I was Roger. Sorry, I was just imagining being in this car like, no. He just starts speeding an up and your day. friend just goes. I really thought she was the one. Oh, no. <laughs> That's scary because like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, again, Daniel wouldn't give up what was truly bothering him. Just these vague little nuggets of like, obviously, it's a girl. Yeah. And then maybe this weird existential crisis of like finding himself or whatever. I also want to know badly what podcast Caitlin recommended because it seems to have fucked his world up yeah i'm wondering if it's some like dog shit like you know it was like what like a QAnon podcast uh, no <laughs> like like f- fucking like jordan peterson type shit i know there's people who like him but like Which i'll give an example peterson oh um like u of t professor or something anyway he had like a bunch of like drug problems but he has a book that's like how to like fix your life in like 10 steps or some bullshit oh no but like i saw um a clip from one of his podcasts actually it was a clip from an interview where he was on a podcast um yesterday and i saw it and i was like this is the dumbest shit i can't believe people fucking eat this up and it was like one 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 of the podcast interviewers like you know as a man you know there's a, a lot of talk about like you know women being interested in dangerous men and and, you know, that doesn't that imply that I have to be, da- like, uh, a weapon? And he, he, and then Jordan Peterson's like, he's like, well, yes, and there's, there's no morality without that. 
What? He's like, there's no morality without being a, a, a threatening person. There's no... Because if there's no, if there's no threat of danger, there's no morality within confining it. And I was just like, you guys are fucking idiots. Morality like or mortality? Morality. What the fuck? And I was like, you guys are fucking idiots. Like, how do... Anyone can hurt anyone. Anyone's technically a threat. Yeah, and okay? also everyone's threshold of pain, emotionally and otherwise, is different. So, like, for example, it's very hard to hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. I, whereas other people, like, I hurt their feelings all the time just <laughs> insensitive. <laughs> I don't read the room sometimes. Yeah. But, like, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, so it's, it's like, he's like, oh, yeah, like, if you're not, like, benching like 300 and could snap a spine in half you're not you're not moral and i was just sitting there i'm like you ever seen indiana jones when the guy brings out the sword (laughs) that's all i was thinking in my head i'm like shut the fuck up this is stupid can you please elaborate on your indiana jones reference oh you know when like indiana jones the guy pulls out the sword and he's like threatening with all this like (laughs) kung fu looking shit and then indiana jones just shoots him and then like turns around (laughs) that's my mentality of like yeah, okay, you're, like, you're a threat. I know the Indiana Jones <laughs> reference. I just wanted to hear you elaborate to see if you completely if I watched it. it up or not. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good chance. It's I a 50-50. fucking love Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, fun fact, um, when I was a kid, we would always uh, rent stuff from Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And the deal uh, when I was a kid was you can buy or rent Two VHS for ten, two DVDs for ten dollars, mm-hmm. and three VHS for ten dollars, and so that technically gave three options between Steph and I <laughs> for like I don't know two months straight. One of mine was always Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that movie for like the entire summer. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know why my mom didn't just buy it for me at that point yeah she probably didn't realize no probably not. <laughs> she's probably like anyway my my kids got their movie <laughs> running around blockbuster yeah she's probably just like she's gonna rent it anyway so whatever <laughs> yeah um and then because the blockbuster was right next to a pizza hut oh uh, my parents would take us over to pizza hut and then we would have like two Really? Yeah. Yeah. So my parents would take us over to Pizza Hut and then we would have like stuffed crust pizza and the best Caesar salad ever and then go home with our movies. Oh, what the, was this back when the Sunday bar was still around? The Sunday bar was around. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. And it was like breadsticks, Caesar salad, and then your pizza. And mm-hmm. there was the Sunday bar. And of course, I put so many stale sprinkles on mine. I was going to say I had more sprinkles <laughs> and ice cream on my coat. <laughs> It was absurd. Oh, that was a nice little positive break right there. Yeah. I want to go back. <laughs> oh, I have to go into Blockbuster. Okay. Yeah. What? What was the last thing I said? I don't know, but I just remembered I'm fucking 30. Oh, the. <laughs> okay. It's okay. The. His. Talking to Roger about his ego, and then I said, I want to know what the fuck podcast he was shown, because obviously it rocked his world in a terrible way. So, yes, they go to breakfast. He's talking about how he has to completely change himself if he's going to be with this girl, and 
Roger's sitting there probably like, dude, I have so much on my plate. My dad just died. And apparently it was, oh. like, it was like a sudden illness. Yeah, I mentioned that. Why did I forget that? I don't know. That just hit hard, though. Okay. He was out of town for the days before he just dis- Daniel disappeared because his dad had died. Yeah. Sorry. I missed that part. So, yeah, he's already got emotional burdens. And then you have this friend who's now, especially in a time like this, you would want a friend who's stable. You could confide in. You have a rock. Mm-hmm. Um, you've lost someone as special as your dad. But you leave for a few days and come back and now this person's like done a 180. Yeah. You would just be like, what the hell? What's going on with you? And the same thing as the day before they eat their breakfast, they go back to the office and then Daniel just leaves without saying anything to Roger. And he was like, rude. (laughs) June 23rd, the day that Daniel goes missing. He doesn't, Roger doesn't see Daniel. Uh, The day goes on. He hears, you know, just, through being in the office and stuff that daniel seems to be missing like he kind of left the job site and no one knows where he went and at first he doesn't really think it's weird because they're field workers so they're often in the middle of nowhere they sometimes have to make spontaneous runs to the store to get supplies to go to the bathroom there's a lot of reasons why you might leave a site and take a while to get back but it it's obvious to everyone after hours um, that Daniel has like not returned. People don't know where he is. Yeah. The his I guess Roger's shift ends or whatever. And so he goes to check Daniel's apartment. He just wants to see if he maybe abruptly went home from work sick or something. He just wants to check on him. He sees that the apartment is locked. He sees that there's no Jeep. And he knows where Davisha lives, so he wants to go and see if Daniel is at his sister's house. And again, no. He talks to Davisha. He talks to Davisha's boyfriend. And they both confirm they haven't heard from him. They haven't seen him. And then they probably just, like, start talking. And Mm -hmm. both, like, all of them realize that he has been weird lately. And... That's obviously concerning when everyone's like, you know what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's that moment where they all clue in at once. That sucks. Oh, he's, he was talking to you about this. That's weird. He was saying this to me. Um, yeah. And just having that moment of like, oh, no. Yeah. Like He really, it wasn't just like a thing with me or a mood with me. Like he's actually just being weird to literally everyone around him. Yeah. And they noticed like just after he went missing. Mm-hmm. Fuck. So no one knows where he is. Roger checked his, the apartment again later that day after leaving Davisha's. Nothing. He checked again the next day on the 24th and nothing. No one has seen Daniel. On July 6th, Biffin and another detective conducted a walkthrough of Daniel's apartment with permission of the landlord. Now, this was not a search, an official search, but they were allowed to just kind of go through it, see if anything seemed wrong. They observed a neat, organized space with no signs of a struggle or foul play. There was no evidence that Daniel packed any belongings. Valuables were still present, including computers. And the only thing that 
is like quote unquote negative, um, which is, is it is it isn't even. It's just the only thing that stands out is that the bedroom was messy and he's a 24 year old man. So it's probably mm-hmm. messy. Yeah. And that there was like some pot and joints around the apartment. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> so like, okay, he smoked pot. On July 19th at around 9 a.m., Daniel's Jeep was located by a rancher. This is 26 days after he disappeared. It was three miles from the job site he left on an elevated part of the desert, like a hilly area. But it was so in between these two hills, it was inside of a ravine, like a ditch. Okay. Upon arrival, Biffin observed that the vehicle was on its passenger side and it had significant damage. It appeared to have had a front impact with the dirt. There was a piece of the sunroof on the ground, partially wedged under the front end. The driver's window was shattered and there was glass on the ground, which Biffin says is consistent with the Jeep rolling once. And there was additional damage that was noted on the lower front end, on the windshield and on the roof, which Biffin says is consistent with rolling as well. Yeah. So this Jeep went through it. Yeah, no kidding. All of the interior airbags had deployed. At the scene, there was a pair of inside-out jeans, two brown work boots, a faded orange vest with the Global Water Company logo, a t-shirt, and two inside-out socks. Daniel's wallet was inside the jean pocket with his ID, debit, and credit cards. There had been at least three significant rainfalls in the area since Daniel went missing, and it appears that the Jeep was there through all of them as there's evidence inside of the Jeep um, as having rain damage. Okay. uh, Including an upside-down hard hat that was filled with rainwater. Inside the Jeep, there was Daniel's cell phone, which was a a Samsung Galaxy S10. There was the car keys, his apartment keys, a backpack with his work laptop, and then just like random other stuff that he kept in his car. It was noted that there was a basketball. And unopened water bottles, like a whole case of water. Okay. It's concerning to hear that there's cell phone, keys, wallet, laptop, all of that. Like, those are all of your most important and personal belongings. What fucking water bottle in the desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are all things that you would, that you rely on, that you need. and <laughs> They're just left in the car. Yes, they're just in the car. There was no blood or evidence of injury other than the damage to the Jeep that I mentioned, but it it apparently rained three times, like significantly, so it could have washed away any blood, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it didn't appear that Daniel spent a substantial amount of time at the scene, and the example detectives give is that there was no empty water bottles, so he didn't drink any of this water. Okay. There were no tracks or footprints indicating a lot of activity at the scene. The only footprints were from the guy that called, the rancher, and from the detectives. And again, if it had rained three times, it could have washed away any sign of activity. Which there would have had to have been something if Daniel was at that car. Then there would be at least one set of footprints if they weren't washed away by rain. So Biffin went to the top of a nearby hill to look for any clues or signs of Daniel. And all that was up there was some footprints that appeared to have been rained on. uh, So they were hard to make out. But other than that, there's no sign of where Daniel went. um, If he left anything else behind, he just had vanished. Mm -hmm. 
detectives believe that Daniel left the job site, like on the day that he disappeared, he left the job site, he turned right, so west at that T intersection, he proceeded up the hillside and somehow drove over a bunch of bushes and off the road, rolling at least once and then crashing into the ravine. The Jeep was still in drive, so. Okay. I don't know what that means really, but it obviously impacted into this ravine and then just was yeah. in drive. So in other words, just there was zero controlled stop. He fucking flew through it. Exactly. And then he hit a wall, basically. Mm-hmm. The scene was photographed and processed by Buckeye Police Department's crime scene manager. Biffin took Daniel's clothing, the dead cell phone, keys, wallet, and backpack with the laptop to Buckeye Police Department for safekeeping until David could come and claim them. A search and rescue group arrived with trucks and off-road vehicles. A helicopter was dispatched to do a thorough, low-altitude search of the area. A Buckeye police officer arrived with a drone to take aerial photos. They searched the area in total for 18 hours. Multiple cadaver and tracker dogs were brought in for the search, and they searched for five hours. This uh, search, this huge search that lasted almost a day, yielded nothing. There's no sign of Daniel. Just absolutely nothing. Nothing. David was notified that Daniel's Jeep had been located. The Jeep was towed to Buckeye Police Department property and evidence impound, and David requested that they cover up the Jeep with a tarp to preserve it from more rain and dirt exposure. David also gave permission to Biffin to obtain the crash data from the Jeep and look through Daniel's cell phone. So the crash data. What we know was that the Jeep was going approximately 30 miles per hour at the time that the airbags deployed, and that's 48 kilometers. And the seat belt was buckled. They also know that the brakes were never applied. Okay. Um, I mean, 48 kilometers per hour or 30 miles per hour is like kind of slow, but I'm imagining that's because he was fucking rolling at that point. It's also a desert, so I don't know how much traction your Jeep is able to get and keep, Mm. and especially going up a hillside, I guess, is what the detectives are saying. Right. I think the the train is a big thing to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Other information they obtained from the Jeep was the odometer reading, so... At 9.06 a.m., which is when he heads out to this uh, job site, I guess, Mm -hmm. it reads 58,129 miles. And then three hours and 48 minutes later, so at 12.54 p.m., it reads 58,153 miles. So it's saying that the Jeep traveled 23.6 miles in that period. But they don't know where Daniel went between leaving the job site and the scene where his Jeep was located. Okay, yeah. (laughs) It's just, honestly, it's just one thing after the other of like, okay, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They don't even know where the fuck he went before he wound up here. Nope. So the Jeep was turned over to David and the private investigator that he hired, this man named Jeff. 
So the PI further analyzed the crash data and found the ignition cycle at the time of the download was 6,850. The ignition cycle at the time of the crash was 6,805. So I was going to say it was turned, but this is a, you know, it's 2017, so it has a start button. Mm-hmm. So the start button was pushed 45 times after the crash. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. Along with the Jeep, Biffin also released evidence photos to David and Jeff um, from the crash site. Um, and then that kind of ends the information from the police report. But there's still a lot to talk about. And something that we'll get into is on August 12th, Biffin spoke to Jeff, the PI, who told him that who told Biffin that he had information that changes the case from a missing persons case to a criminal investigation. And we'll get into all of that in a bit, but it's just so much. It's so wild. I don't really know what to make of the odometer reading saying at nine Oh six, it said this. And then at almost one, it said that I don't know if it counts the miles it took for him to get to the job site from the first job site he was at or from the office or whatever the case is Mm -hmm. but it must just be 23 miles that are completely unaccounted for yeah (laughs) it's just weird i'm so off put by the amount of times that the ignition has started to just show like he just wanted the car to keep going Mm. like like that it was like he he didn't just crash and be like well and like he was already out of it and he just up and left like he was it seems like he was like fuck 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 and just hitting the thing hoping he could get it started like he didn't want this doesn't sound anymore to me like someone who was like i'm going out here to like die mm-hmm. right because then you'd just be like maybe clicking it once or twice but this is like panic pushing it 45 times yeah yep and also <clears throat> it's weird to me that like knowing that he left this the his vehicle which okay i could see how someone would be like i'm gonna leave i guess and maybe see if there's something around me but like maybe even like not even taking your phone to see if you can make a call and then also like leaving all your water behind Mm -hmm. taking your clothes off and just ditching like what the fuck happened i know yeah I know. (laughs) In a statement made on September 16th, 2021, the Buckeye Police Department announced that they had worked with outside agencies to search over 70 square miles with the assistance of UTVs, cadaver dogs, drones, and helicopters. Buckeye Police said that prior to Daniel's Jeep being located, the department conducted a total of four ground searches and two aerial searches. They also conducted two more ground searches on July 21st after the Jeep was found. They've stated the investigation is still open. They are actively investigating it. But despite everything, including David and his family and team insisting something is totally wrong here, investigators say there's no evidence of foul play and this case is not a criminal investigation. And obviously this does not sit well with many people. Yeah. Mainly with Daniel's family, who's saying 
look at everything around you. Something is so wrong here. There's something missing. Mm-hmm. And where the fuck is my kid? Yeah. Yeah, just the stuff you got from the crash site alone is enough for me to be like, that's all really suspicious and you need to figure out what the fuck happened because this isn't normal. It's so weird. But like, I guess like the most frustrating part is like something not being normal is apparently not enough to Mm-mm. trigger further investigation. It's just, yeah, it's weird. It sucks the two that it had apparently the Jeep had been out there since Daniel went missing. So almost a month and it was through desert weather and rain and all of that and if it hadn't been then maybe there would be something in there Mm -hmm. maybe there if there was even like some blood uh signs of a struggle of any kind like if it looked on the ground like there was a big scuffle or something but because there's no there's no signs at all then they don't even have that to lean on (laughs) or it's like they also seem like they kind of don't like i don't even know it's like, I can't, you want to, you never want to imagine that the police are just like, no, I just don't want to investigate or I just don't want to do this or that, or it's not this just because you, you obviously don't want that. Mm-hmm. It kind of sounds like they're not like leaning into anything. Yeah. But it's also confusing because they're still doing searches and getting people to come with helicopters and drones and stuff, but. Yes, it's like they're doing everything they can. Like they want to figure out what's going on, but they don't want it. They just do not want to pursue it as as a criminal investigation. Mm-mm. Like whether I don't know what fucking changes for them if if it becomes one, but it's it never does, and it still isn't. So throughout this whole episode so far, I've talked a lot about David, who's Daniel's father. Um, so I'll. I'm going to talk a little bit more about him here and his response to his son's disappearance and the investigation by the police and then what he's doing to, you know, find his son. Mm -hmm. So David is an army vet who, like I had mentioned, uprooted his life. They were in South Carolina and he moved to Arizona to find out what happened to Daniel. So David has been critical of effort law enforcement has put into locating Daniel. He's very vocal about it, claiming that he has done more to locate his son and has had, um, you know, a strained relationship with local law enforcement. He says that it soured from the beginning. Um, they were only updating him if it was beneficial to them, if they needed something from David. He just hasn't liked the way that the investigation has gone. Mm -hmm. He also says that he firmly believes if they reacted better in those first 48 hours, that they would have be at least a sign of Daniel. If they had gone out there and really searched, they would have found the Jeep. Yeah. So um, he's taken things pretty much into his own hands from the beginning. Mm -hmm. David and his family questioned the timeline of events leading up to Daniel's disappearance specifically the statements given by Ken. They don't think it should hold much weight and they believe that it wasn't scrutinized enough by law enforcement. Also, you have to consider the fact that Ken is the last person that saw Daniel. Mm -hmm. And they never met before. They don't know this guy. No one (laughs) in Daniel's family at least is like, I don't know who this fucking guy is. So he just went out there to meet this person who like obviously Ken works for 
whatever job they're doing. Yeah. But, you know, in David's eyes and his family's eyes, they're like, I don't know. You have to scrutinize this more. You're just taking a statement for what it is and nothing. Yeah. But he is the last person to have seen my son. Yeah. As we know, David hired a private investigator, that dude named Jeff. So Jeff is an (laughs) accident reconstructionist and a former police officer. And he was hired to piece together how Daniel's Jeep ended up in the ravine. He couldn't figure out how any of this happened. And to him, the scene didn't make sense. And he firmly believes that the Jeep did not crash where it was found, that the Jeep was staged there. Okay. Jeff says way too many things don't add up. And in August 2021, he told Detective Biffin that he had information that changes things from a missing persons case to a criminal investigation, which I mentioned uh, a bit ago. Okay. One of these things is that during one of these searches that's led by David and the team of volunteers, there was a sock found near the roadway that leads to Sun Valley Parkway from the job site. So the main road, the paved road, that is the opposite way from where Daniel went out into the desert. Right. This sock matched the socks that were found at the crash site, and they matched, like, based on a visual comparison, they matched socks that were found in Daniel's apartment. So they were consistent with socks daniel owned yeah but that means this sock was found miles away from the jeep yeah that's fucking weird it is fucking weird (laughs) it reminds me so much of um this case um a woman named darlie routier was put in prison for murdering her two sons uh she had called 911 saying that an intruder came in and stabbed them Mm -hmm. and basically they didn't believe her. They think she staged the scene, called 911, but she was the one that stabbed her kids, mm-hmm. but like blocks away from her house. And she never left her house after her kids were stabbed, blocks away from their house. There was like a dish towel or some sort of rag that was found that had the kid's blood on it. What the fuck? Yeah. But she's still in prison. Oh, well, that's fucked. Because I think she did it. But it's like, how the hell did that get away? Get over there, blocks away. But that's what this reminds me of. Where the, how the hell did the sock, if it is Daniel's sock, mm-hmm. what? Why is it miles away from the jeep? <laughs> <laughs> when all of the other clothes were in this little contained area. Yeah. Uh, Jeff believes that the jeep could not have been going thirty miles per hour before it crashed because he attempted to get his off-road vehicle up to that speed and couldn't. So again, like mm-hmm. I had said before when we were talking about it, you have to consider the terrain you're in, that you're in this desert. And he, uh, Daniel is just in his Jeep, his Jeep Renegade. And Jeff said that he was testing it in specifically an off-road vehicle and couldn't get, couldn't mimic that speed. Weird. The Jeep had red paint transfer on its side in a jagged indentation. Like the like it was an impact mark from a collision, mm-hmm. and the jeep his jeep is like a gray this blue gray color, and in the area where the jeep was found, it's a remote desert with nothing around. There was no red paint anywhere. Right. And I don't know if the family or Jeff or whoever has information, whether it's like surveillance photos or what that show. 
the Jeep didn't have a mark on it. And this would have happened in between that time he went missing. Mm -hmm. But it's still strange. There's this mystery mark on the vehicle. Like it had been in some sort of accident elsewhere. Yeah, completely unknown to everyone. Mm -hmm. Jeff believes that the Jeep was dumped in the ravine and says the Jeep doesn't show signs of rolling. It only shows a sign that it went down the ravine and then tipped onto its side. So this supports his theory of staging. Okay. I don't know what the exact. But what about the, what about the airbags stuff? All of the airbags going off. Yeah. Maybe just because it, he, I don't know. It yeah. could it could go hand in hand with the red mark. Yeah. If he was in a previous collision before it ended up in the ravine, in a collision somewhere in those twenty three miles mm-hmm. where they don't know where he was. He could have, maybe the airbags went off. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So weird. None of that makes sense. Mm -mm. Jeff also mentioned there was a coworker of Daniel's named Roger, who I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to tell you right now is just what Jeff says. Um, Daniel's family, like David and Devisha, who were at this search, like never really noticed it and have never brought up roger's name in any like sort of negative way but jeff claims that roger had like wanted to talk to him about something so then when jeff went over to talk to him he had like this oh shit look on his face and then went really pale and then avoided him for the rest of the search like he was gonna tell him something and then didn't panicked but we don't know anything else about that yeah it's just what jeff says and it could be like multiple things like maybe he did know more about daniel's disappearance like maybe in this in the two days in a row that they went for breakfast maybe daniel did say something else to roger that is not like in retrospect is sticking out or maybe he was just dealing with a lot his dad just died his friend who obviously he was close with is missing and had been acting fucking weird before he went missing so maybe Mm -hmm. he's just distraught yeah like who knows what this really means if it means anything yeah and i also think it's important that david and davisha for example never really mentioned anything about roger other than saying like oh i think like that was their roommates once which they were because Roger let David's uh, Daniel stay with them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was the list of things that Jeff gave Biffin saying, this isn't just a missing persons case. There is something missing here that needs to be investigated criminally. Um, <laughs> uh, see examples I gave above. Yeah. And please, please find answers to these. And if you can't, doesn't that make you want to find out? Right. Don't they seem important? But upon hearing all these, you know, reasons that it's a criminal investigation, or should be, it obviously didn't mean anything to Biffin or Buckeye Police Department because it, to this day, they maintain there's no evidence of foul play and it is not a criminal investigation. It is just missing persons. Yeah. I could see that bureaucratic answer right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. dismissive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jeff isn't on the case anymore. He he was hired. He did his his bit there. He reconstructed the accident, 
did the best he could. Uh, but David has hired a different third party to come and work on reviewing Daniel's cell phone and computer data to see if there's anything there that can help with the investigation. Mm-hmm. Again, David did this because the police aren't doing it because that's not criminal investigation. The checking the phone record, like not checking phone records and computers and stuff that are just a swath of information these days. It's no so kidding. mind-boggling to me. Like for a missing person. Yeah. I I can't wrap my head around that. Even like even David's or David fucking handed the phone over at one point and was like, check this out. Yeah, they found it in the vehicle. Yeah. So when Biffin called David saying, hey, we found the vehicle and we found the phone, wallet, keys, whatever. Mm -hmm. David said, like, I'm coming to get the vehicle and his belongings. But yes, I give you permission to go through the cell phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, like everything, even even with like without forensic um, without forensically analyzing the phone. Right. You just fucking opening some of those apps. They just tell you fucking everything. He so Biffin did like go through the phone that way, kind of looked around text messages and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's how he could corroborate, you know, Roger's timeline of when they went for breakfast and and the story of how Daniel texts him to go for breakfast mm-hmm. after even Roger asking and him going no yeah. and corroborating some of the stuff that Caitlin was texting him but the conversation was retrieved from the trash because he had deleted the deleted conversation the messages. <laughs> so what, what kills me is like so the the miles that are missing in this story mm-hmm. like my first my first check on a missing person is going to be google maps mm-hmm. and like fuck man like he like i'm a i'm i am not on the side where i think these cops are dumb or not trying to figure out what's going on i i think the argument about like you they're not doing enough if they're talking about like pursuing it as uh, uh, a murder case or anything like that i think that's that's fair that's completely fair but like so i think these cops are actually looking so like yeah. <laughs> it's weird to me like if they um grabbed that phone and didn't check google maps or maybe maybe it got deleted Mm-hmm. Just removed off the phone, which is completely possible at this point. But exactly. God damn it. Either scenario is super, super frustrating. It is frustrating. And I don't know exactly what Biffin or whoever looked at on the phone. Also, like we have the police report, but there is certain sections of it that are redacted. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's redacted information about what they saw yeah. in the phone. But I didn't read anything about looking at map history um, yeah well like that anything else that level of detail the police would hold probably close relatively close remember yeah, that but i don't think david would no he wouldn't and he has the phone now yeah that's true so whatever um the third party is that he hired to go through the cell phone and the computer uh he i think will share mm-hmm I'm just imagining shouldering all of that. <laughs> it's so much. I agree with you, though. I am on. I am not going to say that the police aren't doing anything. Maybe now it feels like they aren't. But at least reading through this report, they expended quite a few resources that they had on this investigation. But 
I can't wrap my head around not wanting to know where Daniel is. Seeing this crash site, hearing the behavior he had been exhibiting to people around him before he disappeared, mm-hmm. watching the surveillance footage of him in the Waffle House, seemingly waiting for someone for half an hour, yep. hearing from everyone that this behavior is abnormal for Daniel, so obviously something was wrong, and he's still MIA, completely vanished off the face of the earth. Yeah. I don't know how any of that doesn't make you, at least something inside of you tick, like what is happening here? There's a piece missing that's very important. Mm-hmm. Why not? All it does is just take, this is a criminal investigation because of whatever red tape reason you can think of to make it one. Yeah. It, and then boom, you make the family happy. You all of a sudden get the ability to get warrants to search the apartment, to search the phone, to search bank records, to search literally anything. Yeah. Like, come on. The waiting in the lobby part's my, what I would have taken and been like, guys, no one just sits in an empty fucking restaurant. As soon as I read that lobby. part of the police report, I was like, what? I, he's not listening to the jukebox, I don't think. Like, what? He's yeah. just sitting there for half an hour. He's obviously waiting for someone. Mm-hmm. And acting skittish. Like, he's waiting for someone he's nervous to see, it, whether it be Caitlin, or he's waiting for someone he's scared to see because someone's like, yo, I'm going to meet you because I don't like the way you're behaving with Caitlin. Or mm-hmm. maybe it has nothing to do with Caitlin. If he's smoking pot, maybe he had a bad experience with a drug dealer or something. Like, oh my God, yep. I don't know, but... Waiting in the Waffle House lobby for half an hour for no reason is weird. Yeah. No reason, quote unquote. Because I think the reason is he's waiting for someone. Mm -hmm. Anyway, (laughs) we'll keep going here and then talk more after I give more of this information from David's perspective. Okay. So the last thing I had said is that Jeff isn't on the case. He did his part as action action reconstructionist. Yeah. Accident reconstructionist um so david has probably like 3.5 million questions about everything but one of the questions he has regarding is regarding the clothing that was found outside of the jeep so he says quote we don't know it's daniel's clothing because it hasn't been forensically tested Mm -hmm. so he says the same thing goes for the Jeep itself. How can we believe that Daniel was driving it if they haven't tested for DNA or examined fingerprints? If we're going with the theory that this whole thing is staged, maybe Daniel was never even in this location of the desert. It could have been a staged scene. Uh, they did the um, crime scene manager apparently swabbed the vehicle for DNA and took uh, dusted for fingerprints mm-hmm. but if it's not a criminal investigation they can't forensically do anything with that stuff so it's just sitting there and they have no idea oh my god and then the clothes the only thing that really points to things being daniel's are the socks that match stuff from his apartment and maybe the orange vest that has a global water um logo on it Mm-hmm. But again, that could maybe it's just stuff that was already inside the Jeep. Yeah. I don't think anyone really knows if these are the clothes he was wearing. Mm-hmm. 
So like on the day that he went missing. So they could have just been inside of the Jeep and like thrown around to stage it. Yeah. Also, what the fuck's the point of collecting information (laughs) and just not. And then and then you drew the line at processing it. But you can gather it. So all of that shit's just so fucking weird to me. I don't even know what to say about it because it is just like, why? Yeah. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Or God. at least let the at least let the fucking parents take that information and process it in the same lab the cops would use. I don't know. It's so fucked. <laughs> yeah. I know. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just my head hurts with all of this. Yeah. Um. A huge question, another huge question that David has, is how and why the Jeep wasn't found sooner. If it was only three miles away from the job site, how did it take 26 days to find this Jeep? It doesn't make sense to them, especially if in 26 days, um, I am just guessing, but that's at least one aerial search and maybe two or three ground searches. Yeah. They didn't find the Jeep. So David is like, how? That doesn't make any sense. And the Buckeye Police Department just say that it wasn't clearly, the Jeep wasn't clearly visible to search crews because of the rough terrain. It it was blended in this ravine in between two hills and they missed it. So. Yeah. Like it, a ravine doesn't necessarily have water, right? Not necessarily, no. It okay. can just be, yeah, like this dip in between. Yeah, okay, that's that's what I was picturing. But like I, I was just going like, okay, well like is it it's not like the fucking Jeep's exactly blunt like camouflaged at all. Yeah, no, that stands out. I'm showing him a picture. <laughs> this that is stands out. the Jeep. Yeah. It's, so this is what I mean by like the hill so this hill in the background is the same <laughs> on this side over here. Yeah. And this is where the Jeep was. So that's what I was pe- wondering was like, okay, well like maybe like, you know, you got There's a grayish blue Jeep. And it's by a ravine with water. I could see how you just skim over it. But like, fuck, man. Like, you've got bright orange clothing scattered on the ground. You've mm-hmm. got uh, a Jeep that is, it's not, fl- it's on its side propped up. It's pretty eye-catching. And it's not behind, um, like, a large canyon or anything like that. That would Or hidden view. under, like, a canopy of trees. Yeah, no, it's not. It's, it's just, it's just too... Relatively barren hills with some low fauna on it, and with some what? Like like uh, shrubbery and shit. <laughs> Sorry, fauna. You don't. Uh, you didn't like that word. It was very poetic. Fauna. There's the jeep. Yeah, yeah. It's still pretty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just I don't know if you're flying. That's the one. If I if I was part of the aerial search crew, I'd be fucking embarrassed. Me too, because this is a photo I believe that was taken by one of the drones. And even without the obnoxious red arrow, it's it's right there. I can see that jeep. Yep. So I'm with David. I would be like, "How the fuck didn't you see this goddamn jeep before?" He does not talk and, that way. He's and the a very other thing too is man. the other thing too. Keep in mind, like drones right which i completely forgot my mind went immediately to just people in a helicopter no they had drones yeah they had fucking drones and it saw it sees it and like they have someone that has to like look over the footage after right like well the drone i don't know if that was a rhetorical question like they should if they don't fucking do that the, yeah in this case just 
the drone was called out to take photos after the Jeep was found. Yeah, okay. That's why this the Jeep is so clearly in this photo. Okay. But let's pretend this photo has nothing to do with the drone, has nothing to do with the Jeep being found. Mm -hmm. This is what people would have seen in a helicopter looking down. Okay, gotcha. At the ground. Yep. Like that it's, Jeep is right, right there. It's right there, yeah. And maybe you know devil's advocate here maybe they weren't searching this area exactly because they didn't know this is it's three miles away from the job site they mm -hmm. were searching the job site mm -hmm. so i don't know but if there's this many searches that are being conducted at least on foot how do you not find it yeah it's 26 really days. frustrating david has organized Dozens of searches using four wheelers and on foot efforts. The search parties have covered more than 23,000 acres. Anywhere between 75 and 200 volunteers have searched every Saturday for Daniel. On at least two separate occasions, volunteers found human remains, which obviously have turned out not to be Daniel. Mm -hmm. And although they haven't found Daniel, David says it brings him relief that they were, quote, able to bring some other families some type of closure. End quote. David takes every opportunity to speak about his son. He also has a huge social media presence and a website documenting this case. He keeps Daniel's and other cases in the spotlight. He does interviews and Q&As with other families of missing persons so that they have a chance to tell their stories. And he says that this has been eye-opening and helpful because it lets him and his family know that this isn't something unique to them that it's happening to families all over the place. And then having this network of people sharing the same thing, it really must make the reality of their situation like a little less lonely. Cause yeah. Like, well, I also have these frustrations with X, Y, and Z and, and you've experienced something similar and you also know the pain of literally not knowing where your son is. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's doing a really cool thing of making this community. Um, so it's like, Kind a of a little, a little oh. less isolating. Yeah. yeah, it's all under devastating circumstances. You literally have no idea where your son is. He seems to have vanished off the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. But you can at least give other people hope. Okay, we'll put your story in this spotlight, and we'll talk about it and share and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really nice. Yeah. In an interview with News Nation, David was asked what he misses most about Daniel, and he says. He misses their conversations. They kept in touch with each other and talked frequently. He misses their two-hour conversations where Daniel would talk about his life and where he sees himself in his future. He always asked a lot of questions and he loved confiding in and opening up to his dad. And that's what he misses most. Mm -hmm. And while he waits for any new information or leads, he holds regular vigils for Daniel. not to research Daniel's case and come across references to Gabby Petito. I can see why. Gabby's case was spotlighted everywhere in the summer of 2021. And people online, mainly social media, pointed out the lack of national attention that was given to Daniel's case compared to that of Gabby's. Mm -hmm. 
Both cases had many similarities, so people wished they would have been treated in a similar manner, but obviously they were not. So people point to the difference in coverage and response as being a race and gender bias. Mm -hmm. Gabby was a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed female, and Daniel is an African-American, black-haired, brown-eyed male. Yeah. So totally opposite in appearance physically. (laughs) That's an appearance physically. Yeah, and (laughs) I know. And the media is awful with this, and we've seen... Uh, I think we were, we were watching a, a show a while back and they, they had the reporter during the 90s, I think, who just flat out, like, just finally just kind of took the facade off and she said, look, like, our coverage back then, we went off stories that we knew would become spectacles. And that has died off a little bit, but, like, no, we've it's just still watched, fucking there. We just watched that. It yeah. was... um. The bodybuilder killer sally or whatever. yeah that yeah mm-hmm. that that's still like going on it's just now it's a little more subtle but yes yeah like they there's no doubt that those reporters during the gabby petito one went oh you know isn't doesn't it just bring that like heartbreaking kind of like this attractive All young american woman girl yeah, like, and it's like, it's like at the <laughs> heart of it. It is still devastating. Yeah. It shouldn't, we should not take anything away from Gabby Petito in her case. Mm-hmm. But it's just, anything where someone vanishes is mysterious. It's creepy. It's weird. It's scary to the family. How come all cases can't be spotlighted that way? Yeah. This is content that people can't get enough of. It doesn't matter what you look like. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it just should be shared. Yeah. The spotlight should be shared. And so when people are talking about this difference and saying that there was a lot of similarities, the only difference is, you know, what I just listed physically. Mm-hmm. They're both around the same age. They both went missing in remote areas. They both disappeared seemingly without a trace. And they both disappeared around the same time. So people believe that the cases should have been treated in a similar way, but only Gabby's case took off. Mm-hmm. And of course, Daniel isn't the only missing person with this issue, as in like a lack of media coverage and police response. And according to Wyoming's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Task Force, there are 710 Indigenous people who vanished between 2011 and 2020 in the same area where Gabby disappeared. And according to the Black and Missing Foundation, Black people make up nearly 40% of reported missing people, but only 13% of the population. Yeah, well, there you go. There's some fucking cold hard facts to just mm-hmm. drive that home. Mm-hmm. 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 710 indigenous women in nine years go missing. I bet you can't name one of them. I know I can't because a, I never heard about it and it's probably not covered. No. I could go digging for it and I can probably find it and learn about it. Mm, maybe some of them. Yeah. But Gabby, not even from wyoming just happened to be visiting there and it was like it's everywhere and again i don't want to take anything away from gabby and her family but it's just important to be said yeah yeah that to look at it under this lens look at all the similarities the only difference is that he's a black man and she's a white woman Mm -hmm. and i mean obviously like arizona and wyoming but like both in the summer both in remote areas both without a trace both around the same age Obviously, we know the circumstances now as to what happened to Gabby. Yeah. 
but we don't know what happened to Daniel. Because this investigation isn't treated as criminal. And that's criminal. Yeah, that's actually fucking infuriating, but. Even though police say there's no evidence of foul play, David hasn't given up on trying to find his son. When asked if he feels his son is still alive, David says, quote, I have to. That's one of the things that keeps me going. It's also crucial for my family, his mother. We're people of faith. We believe in God. We believe in miracles. Though sometimes I look at everything that I have, evidence-wise, that would suggest other things, I still keep that hope and that faith because we don't have those answers to where Daniel's located. So I always have to keep that faith that somehow I'm going to bring my son home, alive. I really want to believe that and I'm going to continue to believe that. End quote. He's a man on a mission and he wants his boy. And he wants his boy home now. Yep. Countless tips and leads have been received, but all of them have been dead ends. Daniel's family is offering a $10,000 reward for information that helps find Daniel. If you don't have any tips or leads or whatever, there's other ways that you can help. Um, there's donations that you can make through GoFundMe, which is organized by David. It's called Please Help Find Daniel. The year... That was Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> there's a goal of $350,000. And as of today, November 13th, 2022, almost $312,000 has been raised. So they're on their way. Mm -hmm. Daniel's family has also created a change.org petition, which you can sign by visiting pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. I'm sorry. It's, it's so nice. Please help find Daniel. Yeah, that, that, that they thought about, like, <laughs> including please. On the GoFundMe yeah. and on the website. It's very sweet. The petition is calling for accountability with the Buckeye Police Department investigating Daniel's disappearance. David said, quote, From the first day that I arrived in Phoenix, Arizona, I have done more to find my son than the law enforcement agency, whose jurisdictional authority covers where he was last seen and where his vehicle was recovered, end quote. David also writes that Buckeye police are, quote, unwilling to move beyond their theory, which leads to non-action on their part, end quote. As in... It's a missing person's case, and we will not make it a criminal investigation. And David and his family are like, fucking why? They were like, fucking, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? Listen yeah, that's... to episode 40 to understand that reference. Yeah, we're, we're throwing in a few callbacks. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the most frustrating part for me. It's just, like, something so fucking doesn't add up here. I think everyone would know that, and they're just like, well... He's missing though, so it's just he just he's just missing. He's just what? What? Yeah, missing person. We just don't know where he is. David also calls for the missing person investigation to be changed to a criminal investigation, which he says would allow police to seek warrants based on any evidence obtained. Thank you. Goal of the petition is one hundred and fifty thousand signatures. As of today, one hundred and twenty-one thousand signatures. Oh shit! They're not at that yet. Mm-mm. Get out there. Go fucking sign that. All of this is going to be linked in our show notes. So literally right now, go into your little thing right there, Spotify, for example, show more, you know, and hit that link that will literally say, sign the petition. Yeah. We've signed it. Oh, I've signed it. Dyson, you can go and sign it. I will go sign it. We've also donated to the GoFundMe because 
fucking open this goddamn case as a criminal investigation. Yeah, goddamn it. This is the second time that we've we've fucking gone to go donate because shit's just not right. Yeah, specifically to GoFundMes. I donate all the time to different stuff, though. Yeah. When I'm doing my research, I'm like, thank you so much for making this blog. Here's some money because your research is awesome. Yeah, we really appreciate it. (laughs) Daniel's description at the time of his disappearance is as follows. 24-year-old, black male, 5 foot 8 inches tall, 150 pounds, black hair, dark brown eyes, no visible tattoos, no facial hair, and he was born without his right hand and part of his right forearm. If you know anything about Daniel Robinson's disappearance, please call or text 844-602-0660. You can also contact the Buckeye Police Department tip line at 623-349-6411 or visit pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. That's a case of, um, Daniel. He's disappeared. Yeah, in the weirdest fucking way. And, uh, this is the part now where it's just open floor, Dyson. I want to hear all about what you're thinking. I honestly like this. It's a fucking roller coaster. The whole time I was, I I still can't shake it though. Like how disoriented and like this the disassociation for some of these conversations that he's holding that make me just really concerned that he was that he drove out there and and with the intention himself. of yeah hurt himself or intended to hurt himself because mm-hmm. it. I I don't know like he he had obviously had such a a shift in his personality and like that's just screams mental health issue or some sort of breakdown that has happened and then talking about this religious stuff all out of nowhere all really intensely intense stuff too like I have to get rid of my ego I have to change my story I have yeah. to completely change myself if I want to be with Caitlyn and then and then doing like this like I don't know like the this like shift where he just winds up driving down into the desert where it's the middle of nowhere and you know whether that was like whether that ties into what some might be thinking with like this whole religious aspect the walk in the desert kind of shit or whether it's just a dude going i'm gonna clear my head for a very extended period of time by driving out into the desert yeah or he had never gone out to this job site before maybe he got confused at that t intersection maybe he thought he came from the west Mm -hmm. yeah that too but he and if you're already in this state of being you know off weird Mm -hmm. zoning out staring into the distance asking weird questions kind of seeming aloof yeah then maybe he just didn't pay attention he's like i think i came from the west i will just go back that way yeah i mean to me like or like you're saying he went out there just to fucking clear his head he did spontaneous stuff like that yeah i mean like to me though like he's working he's just like i think that's the most likely scenario but i also think that you know one we don't fucking know and two there's there's enough unanswered questions in this thing that that an actual investigation where we look at foul play is made because you know i mean there there is a lot of stuff where we just we don't understand what these players are doing mm-hmm. you know like what has happened with caitlin and to me to be like oh well it's there's no foul play like th- 
I wouldn't say that unless I knew what the fuck was going on between like all these gaps that we keep encountering. Like what happened with Caitlyn? You know, why was he looking so like who was he waiting for at this um, restaurant Waffle in the House. lobby for so Again, long? Again, that <clears throat> is literally just something I'm saying. It's never been said anywhere that he was waiting for someone at the Waffle House. Mm-hmm. But like just for listeners yes sorry yeah because he was sitting there and he appeared to be waiting it was half an hour yeah. sitting near a jukebox at a, in a lobby that i believe was not busy he yeah. was definitely waiting for someone yeah and yeah what you had said about caitlin there's people that do think caitlin is suspicious there's theories that she had people scare or intimidate daniel to leave her alone but it went too far mm-hmm. um if we want to keep in the realm of Caitlyn, who I do think knows more and has a bigger part in this just based on um, everything with Daniel mm-hmm. and by the sounds of it. And I, I, th- I just want to know what their actual conversation was texting and if they hooked up and what stuff like that. Yeah. And if she did go and have someone try and scare him or something like, Oh my God, who knows? Yeah. I just find it weird that he was seemingly waiting for someone in the Waffle House and and that was looking like scared or skittish. Yeah. I don't know. I just, yeah, it's just the big fucking, that's, that's the problem with this case is like every time that they're like, well, it's just a missing person. It's because they haven't looked at these leads. Like the, it's like saying like this is a missing person, but we haven't really looked into the case all that much on these like specific. They leads. do follow these leads. It's just because it isn't criminal that it can't get anything else. Like yeah. watching the surveillance footage at Waffle House, he only did that because the manager was like, "Sure, I'll show you," but he wasn't allowed to have the footage. He would have had to request it from like head office and stuff, but he mm-hmm. wasn't even allowed to do that because. It's not a criminal investigation. Yeah. So he was allowed to take pictures with his phone of the surveillance footage, mm-hmm. but the footage has never been obtained. Yeah. So like just stuff like that that gets frustrating where you're like, oh God, you're already doing all this legwork. Just do the next step and have it be criminal. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Like that's what's fucking killing me about this case. David and Devisha had also mentioned that um, his Instagram had all of the posts deleted yeah was this does this mean anything like i mean i'm guilty of doing that too just taking social media hiatus just because i'm like i fucking can't Mm -hmm. and i mean doesn't mean i'm gonna go out (laughs) to the desert and disappear (laughs) but was it like part of his weird new journey of like reinventing himself yeah (sighs) or was it something nefarious or was it like yeah well not yeah not even necessarily nefarious but like he knew he was going to go out into the desert and disappear. So he mm-hmm. removed his posts. Yeah. I don't know. Did he even? Well, yes, he did because it was a few days before. We could just sum it up as just, I don't fucking know, man. Oh, trust me. Like, my I head don't. hurts. <laughs> my head hurts. This has been me all week just going, huh? <laughs> why? But why? Yeah. And then there's the fact that the Jeep traveled those like 23 miles. From yeah, it's just when he left the job site and then when the Jeep was found. So it's like, what did he do? Where did he go? Obviously, he went somewhere. Someone took his Jeep because of the red paint transfer or something. Like, what happened with this fucking Jeep and why is there a red paint transfer on it? Yeah, why is there a red paint transfer on it? 
why does the investigator think that the the private investigator private yeah private investigator insists that the scene is staged obviously there's another professional saying it was not staged that this was the crash and this is what happened like fucking i don't know and then like what the fuck happened with like we said like checking phone right like what like locations on the phone and all that kind of shit and it's just You'll never know unless David tells us because David has the phone and he's having someone go through it. Mm -hmm. But like that information won't come from the police because they're not investigating that. Yeah. But I hate when I hear that the family has to take it in their own hands because it's like, dude, you're already grieving. David probably hasn't even had time to grieve. And also they don't even know if they are grieving because they don't know what happened to Daniel. So they're like, do we grieve? Do we not grieve? Do we just keep battling? Yeah. His mother is taking it very hard though. Like she's having... What's the trauma? It's like, no matter matter what the outcome, it's so fucking traumatic. Exactly. Yeah. It's so, so so devastating. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what else to add. It's just the best thing that anyone can do is go to the links in the description, the show description, episode description, whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> a link to the petition. There's a link to the GoFundMe, a link to the website David runs. And I mean, yeah, like that's what we can do at this point. Mm-hmm. Keep supporting them. If you can't donate to the GoFundMe, that's okay. At least go and sign the petition. It takes three seconds. Yeah. So it's two clicks. Yeah. Yep. Typically. Yeah, typically. Come on, guys. Just, it depends it's a, on if it's, it's shared or it's not. Two to five clicks. It doesn't you know, come matter. On. It'll take it's literally <laughs> nothing. Like by the time we're done explaining to you how fast it is to do, like you've probably already done it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what else to add. Honestly, my brain hurts. My mind hurts. I <sighs> I know. I'm the I'm the <laughs> You went through it because you were investigating all of this, like doing all the research for it. And like me just hearing it, like even I'm just like, there's so many gaps of like, how do I even fucking say anything? Because just anything that doesn't add up, you're just like, I just want someone to look into it. And I don't, I don't even know what to say um, about what I think happened because I have no idea Mm -hmm. because each situation I can conjure up as to what likely happened there's these like reasons that I'm like, that's no, it can't be that. Mm-hmm. So I can't definitively say what I think because I don't, I really don't know. Yeah. That's why I think this needs to be investigated yeah, much even, differently than it has been. Even what, I, even what I like think, like what I was leaning towards, like I could also just be my own advocate or uh, devil's advocate and just be like, uh, pff, well, here's like 20 other reasons why that didn't work out. I know. Yeah. I really just can't get over the fact that he was obviously waiting for someone in the Waffle House and like we need I really want to know who he was waiting for because I think that would shed a lot of light on it mm-hmm. that's uh the story that's what I have to tell you that's what I think you've heard Dyson's thoughts I I'm sure Dyson agrees it would be interesting to hear what you guys think sure would Did anything we say stand out to you do you have your own theories do you agree or disagree with what we've been saying Literally anything. I love to hear it. Yeah. So, I don't know. The best place to reach out to us is Instagram. We are at Dark Adaptation Podcast Mm -hmm. on Instagram, where there will also be photos. You can see photos of the Jeep, of the desert area where he was working, where he was located. 
uh, sorry, where his Jeep was located. Mm-hmm. We still don't know where Daniel is. Um. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, my brain is is, is done. Um. Tune in next week, mm-hmm. where we'll catch you on the dark side for a murder mystery. Bye.